This week, Annamie Paul announced that she will be stepping down as leader of the Green Party, following months of infighting and disappointing results in last week's election. Paul described her embattled tenure as leader as the, quote, worst period of my life, and has blamed racism and sexism as underlying the attacks against her leadership. On the other hand, back in May, some in the party strongly criticised Paul's lacklustre statements regarding Israeli airstrikes against the people of Palestine and refusal to distance herself from a staffer who called for the replacement of Green MPs who called out Israeli apartheid. Following this dispute, former Green MP Jenica Atwin crossed the floor to join the Liberals. With so much division, it is perhaps not surprising that the Greens' popular vote share plummeted to 2.3%. And although the party picked up a seat in Kitchener, thanks largely to the withdrawal of the Liberal candidate in that riding, the Greens lost MP Paul Manley in Nanaimo Ladysmith. Questions remain about who will take over as the Greens' interim leader and who will enter the race to take over the party's chop job permanently. I'm joined now by former Green Party leadership contestant Dimitri Liscaris, who finished a close second behind Paul in the 2020 leadership race. Dimitri, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure being here, Alex. Thank you. Uh, so let's get straight to the question that I know many people will be uh, anxiously asking. Uh, do you have any plans to run to become the next leader of the Green Party? I don't have a plan, but I'm uh, weighing it very carefully. You know, I've been encouraged by a great many people to run. Uh, of course, the result in the last uh, leadership contest uh, where we were ahead actually on the fifth ballot and finished a close second was encouraging in terms of our prospects. But um, frankly, I wasn't expecting to be confronted with this choice so quickly. Uh, that came as quite a surprise. And I, I must say that, you know, last year's leadership contest took a significant toll on me personally. Uh, and from a health perspective, there was a significant amount of toxicity in last year's leadership contest. It, you know, it was not it was not something that began uh, this year, and um, and I'm still dealing with the health issues from that and recovering from that, frankly. So I have to I have to think a little bit more about it. Uh, I may very well do it, but uh, I, I just don't know if I'm up to it. Some people who paid close attention to your leadership uh, campaign last year may not be aware of what you've been up to since then. So can you tell us a little bit about your work since the campaign and specifically about the Green Left Canada project? Sure. So uh, the first order of business, I mean, I, you know, I, I just should say that throughout the leadership contest and right up until the current time, I, I am a lawyer and I do practice on a part time basis. Um, I still do some although a limited amount of class actions work, but I, I've been involved in doing a lot of pro bono work uh, and a case that I've been litigating before the federal courts on a pro bono basis involving Israeli settlement wines has uh, consumed a considerable amount of my time since then. But on the political front, the first order of business uh, for us when we uh, finished second place, when I came in second place was, we were very encouraged by that. We thought we need to build upon this momentum. A lot of people who didn't traditionally support the Green Party, were very encouraged by the fact that an explicitly eco-socialist candidate was running and uh, and joined the party. So we thought we have, and, and there were already a very sizable contingent of eco-socialists in the Green Party base. So what we did was we decided to extract from our leadership platform 15 policies that we regard as being really key eco-socialist policies and submitted them uh, for the members' consideration in the biannual policy process, which began right after the leadership contest. And we got the results, the preliminary results of that uh, a month ago, a month or two ago. And, and most of our policies were preliminarily approved with 
enough support that they should be automatically adopted at the convention in the end of November. Uh, so we're very encouraged by that. But then after we did that, we formed this organization you referred to called Green Left Canada. And I want to be clear, it's not a political party. It's not intended to be a political party. We never planned it to be a political party uh, because there is some misconception about that. What it is is an advocacy organization that seeks to encourage the implementation of eco-socialist policies at all levels of government. We aren't uh, as an organization committed to any particular political party, even though specific members, including me, are committed to the Greens. Others may have a commitment to the NDP. Uh, but uh, our, our goal is to grow that into an organization that can uh, have a positive influence from an eco-socialist perspective across the country, regardless of party affiliation. Uh, and so right now we are we are sort of in the early stages of thinking about and talking about a people's summit next year. Uh, we really are at the very beginning of that conversation. Uh, you know, however, I have to say a lot of the people who, uh, who formed this organization with me, I'm not the only founder, were heavily involved in my campaign. And so if I decide to run in the leadership contest, I think we may have to park our People's Summit idea for a little while and focus our attention on that. But that's, uh, that's pretty much what's been preoccupying me since then. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up uh, those votes on some really bold and progressive policies by by Green Party members earlier this month. Do you think there's been a shift inside the party? Has there always been this kind of level of support for that type of policy? Or is there kind of a heightening of political consciousness that would kind of be more favorable for an eco-socialist leadership of the party? Well, you know, the Green, the Green Party in its origins, going all the way back uh, to its founding in Germany, was a radical party. Uh, by the standards of mainstream German politics. And that's the tradition out of which we come. And radical, interestingly, you probably know Zalix, but a lot of people don't. What it basically means is getting at the root of things, you know, and, and, and somehow it's become synonymous with extremism. Uh, so when I say we're a radical party, that's what I mean. And, and that means confronting truths and asking questions, which may be uncomfortable for the elites, but that has to be asked and have to be, uh, have to be articulated. Uh, for the benefit of all humanity. So uh, I think what's happened is, you know, the party did begin uh, as a radical party, just like the German Green Party did. Uh, and then there was a shift sort of to the center under uh, the uh, leadership of Mike Harris. By the way, I have a lot of respect for Mike Harris, even though he and I are not necessarily uh, oriented politically the same way. We have things in common and we have different views about economic matters, for example. But there was a shift to the center. And I think Elizabeth May also pursued a more or less center-left approach to politics. Uh, I think that uh, tradition was more or less perpetuated in the short time that Amy Paul was in office. And what happened is the, that that radical core was always there. Uh, it wasn't necessarily in control of the party. And then when the financial crisis struck in 2007, 2008, and the Occupy Wall Street movement, and then the pandemic, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders in the United States openly espousing democratic socialism. There were a lot of things going on which emboldened and grew the eco-socialist movement, not just in our party, but outside our party. And, and things really came to a head last year where we had two quite stark, starkly different political orientations contesting for the soul of the party. Uh, and it was a close call, as, as, I, as you mentioned, as I, I, I've discussed. Um, and so we, we as a party are still grappling with that. And I think part of the problem, we have to be candid about it. Part of the problem that 
enemy encountered is that we haven't resolved that philosophical difference yet. Uh, and I'm hopeful that we'll be able to do that, whether or not I run in the months ahead in a respectful manner. Uh, and that's somehow we lost the ability to communicate with each other uh, productively and, and, and constructively over the last couple of years. Uh, and we need to gain that if we're going to resolve the political, dif- the philosophical differences in the base of the party. I do want to return to the to the question of Annemie Paul's leadership, but I also want to ask, um, so your, your leadership campaign, as you've already alluded to, it ran on an explicitly eco-socialist and strong anti-imperialist platform with some really strong pro-worker policies, uh, support for movements like uh, BDS. Can you explain, like kind of going back to that issue of philosophical differences inside the party, why is this kind of political program, like a socialist anti-imperialist program, needed for both the Greens as a party and for the country and international community? Well, number one, because without it, we're going to render the planet unlivable. I mean, it's as simple as that. The capitalist system is wrecking the planet. And personally, this aspect of my advocacy, I don't regard as a political opinion. This is an empirical observation. We have a capitalist system which is designed essentially to maximize the wealth of a privileged few, and enables them to exploit the masses of the population for their own personal benefit. And they are able to use the planet in the same way. They, they effectively treat the planet as though it is an unlib- unlimited, inexhaustible supply of wealth. They can do with it as they wish. They have no obligation to uh, preserve its health. Uh, they don't look at it as something that is sacred. They don't look at it as something upon which our lives depend. They look at it as just, you know, a well of money from which they should extract ever more wealth until we basically collapse in exhaustion. That's what the system is doing to the planet. It's an, it's again, it's an empirical observation. So if you don't agree with me and, you know, the base of the, the, the eco-socialist base that socialism is the way to go, that's fine. Let's have a discussion about what the way to go is, but let's start by agreeing that we're destroying the planet with the current capitalist system, because that's just obvious. You know, David Suzuki says it, uh, Naomi Klein has said it, these people are not coming from the extreme fringe of the Canadian uh, uh, political scene. And many, many others have not. And, and, you know, there are polls coming out. There was a poll that came out, uh, Innovative Research did a poll two months ago, which showed that 35% of Canadians want to move away from capitalism. And, People say, well, that's only, you know, a little more than a third. Well, the number who were opposed to moving away from capitalism was even smaller, was 25%. The remainder, I think about 10% uh, didn't have a view, and the others were neither opposed nor uh, supportive of moving away from capitalism. They were kind of agnostic, right? So you would think that when over a third of the population feels that way, and it's a larger number of people who want to keep the capitalist system, that we would be having a debate about capitalism. I don't think I heard a single leader throughout the entire election say the word capitalism once, let alone critique the system, let alone raise questions about whether we can survive with this economic system. They won't even talk about it. You know, and today, later today, I'm going to actually do a word search. It occurred to me earlier today in the platforms of all the parties to see if the word is even mentioned. And does anybody even say the word socialism? Like we can't even talk about whether the system is, 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 is one that we can uh, function democratically and sustainably within, even though it's very obvious to a great many of us that it's killing the planet. So that's why we have to have this discussion. Our lives depend upon it, frankly. The future of our children depends upon it. Uh, and, you know, and, 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 and relatedly to that, you talked about anti-imperialism. 
Nobody wants to talk about anti about imperialism either, or foreign policy more broadly, because all the major political parties are in essential agreement on our morally bankrupt foreign policy. We've all basically ceded to the United States government the authority to decide Canada's foreign policy. And nobody has the political or moral courage to stand up to the United States government and say, you know what, you, you are an imperialist, hegemonic force, militaristic force that is contributing to the destruction of the planet, creating enormous geopolitical instability at a moment when we need unprecedented levels of cooperation to resolve the climate emergency. And we will oppose you. We are not going to be dictated to by you because you are at the core of the problem, the United States government, the military industrial establishment within the United States. We can't even have a discussion about this, Alex, let alone take on the problem. Uh, so I think the, the primary role of the Green Party of Canada can and should be to start that discussion and expand the boundaries of political debate and let people's imagination run free and imagine a different world. And we've done that a little bit incrementally with things like, I don't wanna diminish the importance of these initiatives. They are very important and have practical impacts on people's lives that are quite beneficial. Things like pharmacare, uh, free post-secondary education. Uh, you know, These are things that we champion in the past, but we need to be far bolder because we, we aren't going to get to the core of the problem unless we have that debate about our economic system. Speaking of uh, kind of like the, the foreign policy consensus that you alluded to in, in all the major parties, I think this is somewhere we, we really see this is on the issue of uh, Israeli apartheid and the reluctance to even call it out for what it is. And this was obviously a major factor that exposed some pretty significant differences inside the Green Party. You've long been a champion of Palestinian human rights. Um, are you worried that uh, the viability of Palestine solidarity is being squeezed out of the Green Party, or do you still see the Green Party as the primary hub for that kind of politics? You, you know, you try to squeeze it out of the Green Party, you're going to destroy the party because there's so much support for the Palestinian cause. You know, Tarek Lubani, a Canadian-Palestinian doctor who does heroic work in Gaza, you know, he said it, I think, as anybody could say it, and he knows what he's talking about as a Palestinian from Gaza, that this is a litmus test for the moral integrity of a politician in this country. If you cannot stand up for the voiceless, downtrodden, oppressed and brutalized Palestinian people in whose suffering we are so complicit, in my opinion, you are not worthy to be a holder of political office in this country. You're not worthy to be the mayor of Timbuktu if you can't stand up for the victims of an apartheid regime. And I think the vast majority of the members of this party agree with that. So you can't squeeze it out of the party. We have to accept that this party will continue to defend the rights of this brutalized people. Uh, and uh, I, I think, you know, the press has tried over the past year to characterize, uh, you know, the, the, the whole debate within our party about Palestinian human rights is, you know, sort of these two equally powerful factions. It's the way they misrepresent what's, on, what's going on on the ground in Palestine itself. You know, that you have these two more or less equally powerful factions and they can't resolve their differences. That's not true within our party. What happened was we got a leader whose views about this issue, I believe, do not accord with those of the vast majority of the members. And I have the statistics to back it up. When we adopted a policy calling for sanctions on the state of Israel, and we were the first party in parliament to do that in, back in 2016, it was ratified with over 90% support. Over 90% support. Our leader during the most the recent vicious assault on Gaza and the actions in Sheikh Jarrah and the invasion into the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the third holiest site in Islam, did not once use the word sanctions. Even as the NDP leader for the first time under pressure from his base was calling for an arms embargo in Israel. 
So it, the people in our party who are not standing up for the Palestinian cause are a tiny little vocal minority. And that needs to be said. We as a party are overwhelmingly committed to justice for the Palestinian people and for all oppressed peoples, and particularly those whose voices are not being heard in the Western media. Let's talk about um, the, the election. Um, so like, what's your assessment of what happened to the Green Party on election night? Like, why did its vote share collapse so precipitously? Well, you know, that, there, this is, we really are getting into the realm of subjective opinion here. So, you know, there haven't been any careful analyses done. So I'm just giving you my own, my own gut feeling about it. I mean, and, and some of this, I think, won't be controversial. Uh, the fact that, you know, there were allegations of racism and misogyny flying around in the public domain uh, and, and coming either from even from the leader's office uh, certainly was a factor. No question about it. I mean, you know, most most a lot of people probably didn't even know about this, but it was fairly widely publicized. So a very significant percentage of the of the voting population, I'm sure, was aware of these allegations being uh, hurled by senior people in the leader party against other members of the Green Party of the Green Party. Uh, that that was un undoubtedly a factor. Uh, the the, the defection of Jenica Atwin, uh, which was precipitated, let us be very clear, by repeated smears emanating from the former uh, senior advisor of the leader, uh, angered a great many members of the party, and in fact caused a lot of people to decide that they weren't going to continue to contribute to the party. I received a ton of messages myself from people who were irate who were tearing up their memberships, uh, who said they were stopping their monthly donations, who refused to volunteer for the party. Uh, you know, I think Jenica's departure was, it was a tragic loss for our party and was an earthquake, frankly, from which we've not recovered. And then of course, uh, you know, we lost a person whom I regard as the most progressive member of parliament, Paul Manley. I'm profoundly saddened by that. Both Paul and Jenica were wildly popular and Paul was one of the persons who, along with Jenica, was attacked repeatedly in the press by uh, the senior advisor of the leader because they had the moral courage to say that Israel is, in fact, an apartheid state. Uh, so certainly that had a lot to do with it. But I also think, to go back to the discussion we were having earlier about eco-socialism, we were not communicating to a, a voting electorate uh, a, a distinctly left-wing, uh, boldly progressive, anti-imperialist agenda. You know, that, that, uh, that poll that I talked about in August of this year by Innovative Research, where 35% said they wanted to move away of capitalism and only 25% were opposed uh, to doing so, had a, a bunch of other statistics that were very, very interesting. Very high levels of support for increasing the minimum wage. Very high levels of support for uh, substantial increases in healthcare spending. A very high levels of support for increased spending on mental health care. There has been a sea change in the uh, voting public's views about these core issues. And we as a party need to catch up to the voting public. Nobody is caught up to the voting public in that regard. Uh, and that includes us. So I think that that hurt us as well at the polls. Uh, and I think if we strike out and fill that, that, that political vacuum that exists on the left unapologetically, we can regrow this party very rapidly. Now the Green Party is kind of in this period of, uh, you know, self-examination and looking ahead to the future. Um, I read uh, over the past couple of days that Elizabeth May has been floated as a potential candidate to be the interim leader. What are your thoughts on that prospect? 
Uh, well, so too was, uh, you may be referring, uh, there was an article in the Toronto Star, which uh, actually identified uh, Paul Manley as a potential prospect for interim leader. Right. Look, I, I think, uh, you know, as, as interim leaders, both of them would do an excellent job. You know, uh, obviously, Elizabeth May has more experience leading the party uh, than anybody in the Green Party of Canada. She has more experience uh, as a parliamentarian than anybody in the Green Party of Canada. Paul is just, you know, so many wonderful qualities. Uh, he he has, you know, significant experience as a parliamentarian as well. Um, and so I think either one of them would be a fine choice. Uh, but, you know, the real question that we're going to have to grapple with is who's going to lead the party uh, you know, on a longer term basis, once their stints is, well, assuming that one of them is chosen, and I don't know that that's going to happen, uh, you know, that's going to be the real question that will uh, loom large in terms of whether we can recover from this and how quickly. Kind of in terms of the, the you know, the, the more important task for the Greens of selecting a permanent leader, something I've always wanted to ask you, and I always wonder, like, whether if you had won the leadership last year, whether you would also be experiencing some opposition from at least some sections of the party apparatus like i think it's fair to say that you experienced some pretty brazen hostility during your leadership campaign and the other thing i wonder like kind of alluding to the fact that um you know the the german green movement started as a radical party um but the the green party of canada it wasn't born out of the labor movement it, it doesn't necessarily have class struggle in its dna so kind of related to that, like, why is the Green Party, in your view, the best vehicle for a robust eco-socialist program rather than, say, the NDP or like even the Communist Party? Well, uh, I just I, 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 the premise of your question, I just want to disagree with part of it. And that is that, you know, one of the persons who endorsed me last year was the former Green Party leader, Joan Rousseau, uh, you know, and she was the leader back in the late 90s. Uh, and I think Joan had a very uh, a, acute class consciousness and a strong commitment to the rights of the working class. Uh, I think, you know, in the early days of our party, that did that there, there was that strong commitment to the rights of workers within our party. But, uh, you know, we kind of lost that thread uh, to some degree in the last 20 years. So I, I, I will acknowledge that. Why is this the right party? I mean, first of all, the core values of the party. I think are in essence, they're the spirit and the soul of eco-socialism, non-violence, respect for diversity, uh, you know, uh, social justice, ecological wisdom, not just sustainability, but ecological wisdom. These things are, you know, fundamentally quintessentially eco-socialism. And so our values are entirely compatible with eco-socialism, number one. Number two, because we are a smaller party, we can be more nimble and we are, Dealing with a less in, less entrenched establishment, you know, you say I would have encountered obstacles. Oh yeah, I'm not going to pretend that I wouldn't have. I would have responded, however, to the resistance in a certain way, uh, and that is to engage people in a in a constructive, respectful conversation, and walk them through the reasons why this is the right path forward for us as a party, and mandated by our core values. And I still, you know, I wouldn't have persuaded everybody. Uh, no question about it. And it would not have been an easy ride, uh, but it would have been easier than trying to do it in the NDP. You know, the NDP has been, it's got this, this, this neoliberal establishment that's firmly entrenched. And those people, I mean, you know, I, I, I think it's, a, I think this kind of a project within the smaller Green Party is a much more viable endeavor than trying to do something in a larger 
uh, more sclerotic organization like the NDP. Kind of like, yeah, going back to the premise of my question, would it be fair to say then that like, it's almost like, you know, I alluded to the, the Green Party's quote unquote DNA, but like, it's almost like it's it's still a young and small party that you, you're still in the position where you can still shape its DNA, I guess, yeah. in, in terms of how it grows into the future. Yeah. And then one thing I didn't mention, Alex, is, you know, that our, our policy process uh, is probably the most participatory democracy oriented policy process of any significant political party in Canada. Uh, you know, the, that BDS resolution, which we passed back in 2016, you could never get that passed in any of the other parties, even if there was broad based support for it. They wouldn't even let it go to the floor. You know, they'd find ways to kill it before it got there. You just can't do that in the Green Party of Canada with the, with the very open and transparent policy process that we have. So uh, that, that, is, that too is a reason why I think the Green Party is particularly well suited to be the champion of eco-socialism. Um, well, those are my main questions. Do you have any other final points or plugs that you'd like to share? All, all I want to say is like, what, whoever runs to be the leader of the Green Party of Canada, please, those of you who left, uh, come back and help us rebuild this party. Uh, whether or not I become the leader, whether or not I even run to be the leader, uh, we have, uh, there's, a, there's just a profound need for a party like the Green Party of Canada and Canadian politics. And, uh, you know, we can't do this alone. We need your help. So please come back. Well, if listeners would like to follow Dimitri's work and thoughts about political affairs, they can do so at dimitrilascaris.org and they can follow his project at greenleft.ca. Thank you very much for joining me today, Dimitri. It's a pleasure talking to you, Alex. Take care. You've been listening to an episode of The Maple Podcast. To support our work, please go to readthemaple.com and click subscribe. Thank you for your support.